The following message is brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of Crown Point Baptist Church and Pastor Mark Ermler. Now this morning it's my intention to try to cause us to, as the people of God, to have eyes that are wide open concerning the men, the women that present themselves as potential leaders for our nation. And I don't know if you sense what I'm sensing, but I I really feel that we're at a crossroads as a nation. I feel like we have for many, many years now gotten progressively uh, just spiraling out of control in every imaginable way. And uh, part of that has to do with, I believe, that God's people... Uh, maybe have not been engaged as they ought to be. You saw that statistic here on the video. It's a shame. Somehow God's people feel like their voice doesn't matter. And, and yet if we are not active in uh, just doing what we can, and I know sometimes we feel like how insignificant is that? What is it just you know, for me to cast my one vote. And I think there's a lot of evangelical Christians that really have that thought in their hearts and in their minds. And as a, as a result, sometimes we get leaders that we scratch our head and go, how did we end up with this person? And uh, I, I believe with all my heart that God does desire for uh, us to recognize that there are good rulers and there are not so good rulers. There are rulers here that want to take us away from God's word, God's truth, and and lead us down really a godless path. And, And then there are some that would hold the line and just say, listen, we are people of the book, and we want to allow God and those Judeo Christian values to continue to impact our society for good. And if that is our heartbeat, if that's the desire that we have for our children and our grandchildren, then we have to be active. Uh, We have to recognize that God is desiring to use His people if we will be available. So in 1 Samuel chapter number 8, we have a unique dynamic here. You have a, a changing of really a government structure from a theocracy where God ruled and reigned in Israel. And all the way through Joshua and the judges, you see that God would raise up certain judges that he would place uh, as leadership for the nation of Israel. And yet there were some that rose to the surface that were corrupt. And we see that here in 1 Samuel chapter number 8. Although Samuel was a godly, godly man, notice his sons did not follow in dad's footsteps. Matter of fact, in 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 3, concerning Samuel's sons, and his sons walked not in his ways, but turned aside after lucre and took bribes and perverted judgment. Now let me tell you something. Uh, in the world of politics, that's not a good thing. That's called buying influence. It's called using your money here uh, to really put undue pressure on those that should be in leadership to do things that they would not normally do. And let me tell you, the the last thing that we need in our society is uh, really that 
think, that, that way of thinking, uh, that uh, this is how things work. You've got to grease it a little bit, and uh, so we've got to use uh, these uh, monetary means to try to get the person in there, and then we will cause that person to do what we want them to do uh, because uh, we're making sure that we're taking care of them financially. That was the scenario here in 1 Samuel chapter number 8. And really, that scenario was one here that would bring hurt and harm, and it did, to God's people. And Samuel was brokenhearted about it. He really was. He, he went to the Lord and brought it to the Lord. And, and, and God said, Samuel, the people are asking for a king like all the other nations, but they don't know what they're asking for. I feel that's right where we are as a nation. We're asking for something, and we have no idea what we're asking for. We, we, we perceive that this is the answer, and this is what we need, and there's a popular clamor here in our nation to embrace uh, one particular uh, figure over another, and we think, that's the answer, that man, he's the one that we're riding on, and, and, and all of our hopes are on him as a politician. And, and we fail to take in consideration, if God chooses a man, what does God choose? If, if God's picking out a leader, who would God choose to lead? And as Christians, our heart ought to be, uh, as Romans tells us, that we ought to be praying for those in authority over us. Why? That we might be able to live that peaceable life, that we as Christians would not be hindered from really serving God, living for God, and uh, allowing our lives to continue to move forward uh, so that uh, God can be glorified in, in, in our lives. So this is the scenario. The people said, we want a king. The, the, pop, the, the popular thing was, we want somebody here to rule over us and again, God is the one that came in. Look at the end of verse number 9. Now therefore hearken unto their voice, howbeit yet protest solemnly unto them that show them the manner of the king that shall reign over them. And Samuel told all the words of the Lord unto the people and asked of him a king. And he said, this will be the manner of the king that shall reign over you. And for the next couple of verses, then he describes what's going to take place. What's going to change in their life? Uh, because now they're putting uh, all of their hopes and dreams into this personality, thinking that he's going to solve all the problems that we have. Let me tell you something. God only can solve the, the issues and problems that we have. And a real revival among God's people is the answer, not a political figure. And uh, I, I think, and uh, in, in sadly, in a lot of hearts, we're setting ourselves up uh, for tremendous heartache and heartache, heartbreak because of our perception of what we're going after in, in, instead of the reality. Let's go to chapter 13 where we're going to jump in looking at this first king of Israel this morning and tonight at 5 o'clock. And I've simply entitled a message unworthy of their office, The Life of King Saul. And I've, I've really... Uh, ask the Lord to help me here uh, this morning, just say only those things that he wants me to say and not to say the things I shouldn't say. And uh, so you pray for me as I'm uh, preaching God's word here this morning. But Saul is a very interesting character that is going to be that man that's head and shoulders above all the rest. I mean, everybody's going to look at Saul and say, of course this is the guy. 
This is the one. This is the Savior. He's going to bail us out of all this. He's going to turn this thing around. And it was almost a, a personality cult following after Saul because obviously he looked the part. I mean, when God said that he's head and shoulders above all the rest, that's what everybody else saw. They saw that exterior. They saw what they uh, projected onto him as, as being the answer uh, to all of the problems that they had. And yet, the truth is that God saw the heart. Man looks on the outward appearance, but God sees the heart. And God, by the way, is more interested in the heart than he is the exterior. See, you can, you can bluster all you want, and you can say all you want, and you can uh, project all you want, but God sees the inner working of a person's heart. And, and when it's all said and done, this politician's going to be rejected by God, and God's going to choose that little shepherd boy, David, because he was a man after God's own heart. And really, that's the question that we all ask ourselves. Am I being a part of choosing someone that is just a popular individual because of his charisma or just the exterior of what I heard or what I see? Or is my heart as the heart of God looking for that individual that has a heart after God? Because that's, in the end, where you and I ought to be. We ought to be lining up with God. We've got to be lining up and saying, listen, this is, I want to stand where God stands. I want to choose the one that God would choose. And we see a comparison of them really in the text here today. So let's jump in. I, I have no idea if we're going to get through just a couple of these points here uh, this morning. But however, however far we're able to go, we'll go and pick it up here at 5 o'clock. But let's begin by looking at the first couple of verses of 1 Samuel 13. And here we really see uh, Saul as he truly is after he is appointed, after he is coronated, after all the hoopla, after all the excitement. Oh, we finally have him! He's here! He's arrived! He's the answer! And now reality sets in. And, uh, oh, this is who he chose. Oh, this is the guy. This is who he is. I thought that might be who he was, but I was hoping he wouldn't be what I kind of thought I knew he would be. You know? And now we, get, now we got him? I can't believe this. I can't believe I was the one that participated in helping him get to where he was. So in the text now, we see the unraveling of this politician's life. And we get really to the nitty-gritty of who the man is. And these are the points that I want to share with you from the Word of God. First of all, Saul reigned one year, all right? He's not too far in uh, to his reign. And, and by the way, it doesn't take long for uh, the facade to wear away. It doesn't take long for the reality to sink in that he's not who we thought he was. It just doesn't take too long. So here you are at the beginning of his ruling, of his reigning, and the Scripture says, Saul chose him 3,000 men of Israel, whereof 2,000 were with Saul in Mishmash and in Mount Bethel, and 1,000 were with Jonathan in Gibeah of Benjamin, and the rest of the people he sent every man to his tent. 
All right, so he's got uh, uh, an elite force of 3,000 men. He's got his uh, right-hand general. Jonathan's going to take 1,000 of them. He's going to take 2,000 men. And, and both of them now are uh, focused on the enemy, uh, the Philistine army. And the Scripture goes on and tells us, verse 3, And Jonathan smote the garrison of the Philistines. Now, let me say that again. Who, who smote the garrison of the Philistines? Help me. Who was it? Jonathan. All right, Jonathan smote uh, the garrison of the Philistines. He's the one that stepped out. He had half the army his dad had. He only had a thousand soldiers, and so uh, he looked at the opportunity. And he said, "Listen, God can do with many or few, and I'm going to lead my men in the battle, and we'll see if we can get a victory here on this day." By the way, what a comparison between the character of Jonathan and the lack of character of of old Saul. Night and day. And so here in the text, the scripture goes on and tells us, uh, after Jonathan, verse 3, smote the garrison of the Philistines, that was at Geba, and the Philistines heard of it, and Saul blew the trumpet. I just, I just think that's hubris. Here's a politician blowing a trumpet, you know. That, that just, that's just it. That's, that's typical. I'm going to blow my own horn. I'm going to let everybody know of this awesome victory that I just had. Look at the verse. The scripture says, Jonathan smote the garrison, verse 3, and Saul blew the trumpet throughout all the land, saying, let the Hebrews hear. What What does Saul want everybody to hear? What is Saul anxious that people would get a hold of? Verse 4, and all Israel heard say that Jonathan had smitten the garrison. Is that what it says? Oh, it doesn't say that, does it? <laughs> it says that Saul had smitten the garrison. He's blowing a trumpet. He's, he's uh, letting everybody know of this awesome accomplishment. And yet the reality is that he is taking the credit for the accomplishments of someone else. He, on record, goes out and blows a trumpet, has the people go out, tell everybody Saul's the hero of the day. Wow, Saul's awesome. Saul's unbelievable. Boy, you listen to some of the PR people of some of these candidates, and it's unbelievable. Uh, It's like they walk on water, and I don't mean to be disrespectful here, but it just sounds like they have done everything that you can imagine. They're just awesome. Uh, here Saul, of course, is the one that is blowing the trumpet. Saul is the one that's taking credit for someone else. And the issue is simply this, it's pride. The issue, number one, is pride. And, and so when we look at these few verses, we see the armies of Saul. And uh, that, uh, by the way, he makes sure he has twice as many as that Jonathan has. The accomplishment of Jonathan... Jonathan is the one that got the victory that day. Jonathan's the one that stepped out in faith. Jonathan's the one here that rallied his troops and and saw this great, great accomplishment. But the accolades go to Saul. Uh, The accolades go to uh, the guy that was sitting back wondering, well, should we attack, shouldn't we attack? I mean, I don't know if that's a good idea. And I know I got 2,000 guys, but but I'm just not sure. And in the meantime, Jonathan is just, wow. God is using him to lead the people uh, to a great, great victory. How how do you identify an unworthy politician? 
Number one, they're taking credit for the accomplishments of others. Uh, some of you know that I kind of like uh, football. I, I don't follow all the sports. I don't think I have time for it. But uh, football, that's uh, fall season once a week. And this was draft weekend here, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. And so I got uh, a little bit of uh, news here coming. And I, I wanted to find out who uh, my uh, team there uh, was, uh, was drafting. And it was absolutely astounding to me that every time the general manager got up, the coach got up, uh, one of the scouts got up, and every one of them, before they started, they said, listen, this is a team effort. I couldn't have done this. The general manager says, listen, I get all the credit for it, but I've got this awesome team. And the scout gets up and says, listen, I've got all these guys that are out scouring around looking at these guys. And the head coach says, listen, it wasn't me. It was the manager. Everybody's pointing to somebody else to give credit to somebody else for the job that was done. And that's real leadership. Uh, I, mean, I mean, not taking the credit yourself, but just, just giving it to those that are involved. And that's what Saul was incapable of doing uh, because it was all about him. The, the universe uh, centered around him. And, and, uh, and he needed the accolades, and he needed the, the victory. And uh, he made sure that everybody else heard about how awesome he was. All right, so that's number one. An unworthy politician will take credit for the accomplishments of others. Now let's go into the text here a little bit. And uh, I, I want us to go to, uh, let's read a couple of verses here, beginning in verse number uh, 7. And some of the Hebrews went over Jordan to the land uh, of Gad and Gilead. As for Saul, he was yet in Gilgal, and all the people followed him trembling. And he tarried seven days according to the set time that Samuel had appointed but Samuel came not to Gilgal, and the people were scattered from him. By the way, you're going to notice in the text that they are naturally gravitating to Jonathan as a leader, and, 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 and they're really not sure about following this Saul guy. Uh, he's, he's, he just is an inspiring real leadership. And you'll see that word distressed in verse number 6. It describes the people under Saul's leadership. They're distressed. Uh, you, you see here they're trembling. All right, they're following, but they're scared uh, because they, they don't see really God working in and through his life. They see it in Jonathan. Obviously, they don't see it in Saul. And because of that, they're fearful. They're fearful. So they're waiting for Samuel the prophet to show up. And so Samuel here uh, is delayed, and he's waiting here for seven days. And the Bible says in verse 9, And Saul said, after seven days, Samuel's not there, Saul said, Bring hither a burnt offering to me, and peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offerings, and it came to pass, that as soon as he had made an end of offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came. And Saul went out to meet him, that he might salute him. And Samuel said, What hast thou done? And Saul said, Because I saw that the people were scattered from me, and that thou camest, and thou camest not within the, day, within the days appointed, and that the Philistines gathered themselves together at Mishmash. Therefore, said I, the Philistines will come down now upon me in Gilgal, and I have not made supplication unto the Lord. I forced myself, therefore, and offered a burnt offering. You know, uh, here we have number two. An unworthy politician will blame others for their own personal failures. Here you have Saul... 
is told to wait, and yes, he wants to go to battle, and so he feels like I've got to make an offering here to God so we can have victory in this battle, except Samuel, the, the priest, doesn't show up. And he's the guy that's supposed to be sacrificing these animals, and, and Saul's thinking, well, you know, he's not here. It was an appointed time. I've been waiting for him. I don't see him. Uh, I guess I'll just take matters in my own hand, and I'll become the priest for the day. Let me tell you something. That's, that's an abomination to God. Uh, Saul uh, was not that one that God had set apart for that duty. God had separated that role, the priestly role, from the role of leadership. And, and God is the one here that separated it. And yet what we see here in this unworthy politician is it was easy for him to blame others for their own personal failures. And so I have the issue of blame shifting. Blame shifting. Boy, it's, 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 it's amazing, especially during a political season, to see how much blame gets passed along for whatever perceived failures might be along the campaign trail. And how easy it is here to blame others uh, for really mistakes and deflect for mistakes that the candidate uh, has made themselves. So in verse number 11, we have two things here. He blames the people and he blames the prophet. Look at the verse. And Samuel said, what hast thou done? And Saul said, because I saw that the people were scattered from me and that thou camest not within the days appointed. He was ready with his excuse. He was all set. He, 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 uh, he knew he shouldn't have been doing what he was doing. And yet here Samuel shows up and he's greeting them. Uh, he's, he's uh, just uh, so uh, uh, outwardly glad to see the prophet, and yet inwardly he knows it's like the kid with the hand in the cookie jar. You know, you got caught. And uh, boy, I sh- this is not something that I should have done, and I just got impatient, and, and now the best thing I can do to cover up the, the lack of leadership in my life is just to blame someone else. Just blame someone else. Listen, that's an unworthy politician. This phrase I'm using, an unworthy politician, are all the things that happen in Saul's life that causes God to say, I'm done. I'm done with you. I don't want you. This is not, this is not the kind of leader that my people need. And by the way, I, I, I still believe that you, know, you and I can, can ask God's blessing on our nation. God bless America. That ought to be our prayer, but we need to be blessable. We need to be a people that can receive the blessing of God. And so we ask God to give us the leaders that will help us. Help us do the right things versus doing the things that are displeasing to the Lord. I've, some, I've heard some people uh, you know, use, use the, the, the phrase, listen, we don't need a, a preacher, uh, we need a, a president. And it sounds cute. I take offense to it. I take offense to it. Greatest leaders in all of history were godly men, God-fearing men, God that knew their God, and God, uh, people that knew how to bend their knees in humility and prayer, men that uh, opened up the Bible and actually went into it every day. What, what in the world do you want a leader that has never cracked this book open and you expect them to get wisdom from where? Where are they going to get judgment? Where are they going to get wisdom? Where are they going to get leadership and guidance? No, 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 no. I want this guy, although he's as godless as godless can be. I want him. Really? Really? 
uh, we, 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 we as Christians have to wake up to the reality that when we receive the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior, we have a responsibility. And that responsibility is to demonstrate and reflect Christ in all that we do. We're to be a light in this world. We're not to be like the world, all right? We're, we're to be distinctively different. And it just, it just floors me that Christians are oblivious to the, to the heart of godlessness in some candidates, and you think, well, I'm okay with it because they're going to do this. I'm okay with it because they're going to do this. Let's just say, without character, they can say anything they want to say, but it doesn't mean they're going to follow through. Because in their heart, they're without character. In their heart, they're, 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 uh, uh, they're, they're deficient. There's no room for God. There's no room for God's Word. There's no room here to seek God or humble yourself before God. Is that really who we need as a nation? That, that there's a, 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 a president that would never do this. That would never bow their knee to God and say, God, we're in a mess, would you help us? Can you imagine going through another four or another eight years with a man that's so full of themselves that they cannot bow their knee to God Almighty and acknowledge that they need forgiveness or that they need God's Word for guidance? It floors me that Christians would just get in line behind and say, hey, but you know, he says all these wonderful good things. Character is what you really are, not what you profess to be with your lips. And what I'm sad about is there's going to be a a revelation of the true nature of the heart unless God intervenes and uh, God gives us a leader after His heart. And and, And that has to be God's working. An unworthy politician. This is what God identifies with us here in the life of Saul. He'll take credit for the accomplishments of others. Uh, He'll blame others for his own personal failures. And then number three here, an unworthy politician will make senseless laws that hinder rather than help people. And it really comes to the core issue of wisdom. Go with me to chapter 14, would you? This is absolutely amazing. Now Jonathan is going to get a great battle uh, victory again. He goes out with his servant, and you know the story. Uh, he, he looks at the enemy, and, and that servant looks at him, and, and he looks at the servant and says, hey, should we go for it? And, uh, and uh, boy, you know, God can get the victory with few or with many, and I know there's only two of us, but let's just trust God. And let me tell you, they get a great, great victory, and the enemy is on the run. Matter of fact, they started a skirmish that all of a sudden these guys are fighting themselves. And, and it seems like finally the, the enemy, the Philistines, are maybe going to get out of our hair and, and we're finally getting the upper hand here on, 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 on these guys. And again, it comes back to Jonathan's leadership, not Saul's leadership. But notice how Saul behaves here after this great victory of Jonathan and his armor bearer. I want you to go to chapter number 14. And I want you to look here at uh, verse number 1 and 2. Now it came to pass upon a day that Jonathan the son of Saul said unto the young men that bear his armor, Come and let us go over to the Philistines' garrison uh, that is on the other side. But he told not his father. 
Let me just begin with this thought, the inactivity of King Saul. The, the Bible goes on in the next verse, number 2, and says, what's Saul doing? Saul's tearing in the uttermost part of Gibeah under a pomegranate tree. Okay, you know, here the enemy's on the run. You know, we got the upper hand. It's time for the leader to stand up and lead the charge. And what's Saul doing? He says, well, I'm taking a nap here. I'm under this shaded pomegranate tree and enjoying the pomegranates. And boy, life is good. And Jonathan says, this is not right. And Jonathan here is the one that, that really is going to take matters in his own hand and he's going to take just his armor bearer and they're going to start a little skirmish that's going to lead to really a great victory. And I don't have time this morning to go through chapter number 14 on what God all did, but it's obviously uh, God was on Jonathan's side. Matter of fact, there is a supernatural event in the text that you can read later. There's a trembling of the ground and all of a sudden these Philistines are spooked and they're on each other. And uh, I mean, it's just, it's just a sight to behold. Because here you have a man of faith that just believes God, acknowledges God, wants to glorify God, and God puts it right again. You folks that are looking for a godless person to put it right again, forget it. It ain't going to happen. Any, you want a godless person to, to, to rule and you think somehow that God's going to smile on that and God's going to say, oh, that's awesome. I just love the fact that you chose here uh, an adulterer. <laughs> uh, I just love that. That he exchanges wives one after another here. I just love it. I love his, his, his vileness. I, I love the fact that he's so crude. I love the fact here that the man has uh, no heart for anything that has to do with God. That's not God. And, and somehow we as Christians got to step back and we got to go... Listen, is this, that, is this the best that God really is offering to us as a people? Are we delusional? Are we deceived? What's going on? An unworthy politician will make senseless laws that hinder rather than help the people. The issue is wisdom. We go on in this text and we see the incredible faith of Jonathan, verse number 4 through 7, but now we see the idiocy of Saul in commanding a fast of all of his soldiers through the battle. All right? First, first of all, this had nothing to do with Saul. It had everything to do with Jonathan. Uh, Saul's eating pomegranates. Jonathan's doing all the heavy lifting. And now that the enemy's on the run, he makes this edict. No soldier can eat anything today. What a stupid law. And he says, if they do, we'll kill them. That's even stupider than the, the original law. And, and, and yet we see here that this uh, unworthy politician is willing to make nonsensical laws uh, that, uh, uh, that hinder rather than help people. And the issue is wisdom or a lack of it. The, is, the issue is wisdom. Where's, where's Saul getting wisdom where is Saul getting instruction? Where is Saul getting counsel? Pretty amazing when you're your own, own best counselor. That's terrifying. Uh, so Saul didn't, didn't say, hey, generals, what do you think we ought to do? Hey, son, boy, God's been all over you in this, in this battle. What do you think we ought to do? He, he, he's, a, he's, a, he's a man unto himself. He's the final authority on every issue of life. Just ask him. He'll tell you. Uh, he's the smartest guy in the room. 
He's the answer. And yet, when you look at the Word of God, we see he makes this decree, and he doesn't realize that the one that doesn't hear about it, and you read the text, is his own son, Jonathan, who takes his staff and dips it in honey and puts it on his lips, because in the midst of battle, you need nourishment. You need to be revived. You need a little food so that you can continue to fight. But, but this, 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 this craziness of making this law that decrees the fast, uh, this is what's taking place. Look at verse number 24. And the men of Israel were distressed that day, for Saul had adjured the people, saying, Cursed be the man that eateth any food until evening, that I may be avenged of mine enemies, so none of the people tasted any food. Look at verse number 28. Then answered one of the people and said, Thy father, this is speaking to Jonathan, Thy father straightly charged the people with an oath, saying, Cursed be the man that eateth any food this day. And the people were faint. All right, that's the consequences of these laws. They don't help. They hurt. And uh, the people are faint. Then said Jonathan, My father hath troubled the land. See, I pray you how mine eyes have been enlightened because I tasted a little of this honey. How much more, if happily, the people had eaten freely today of the spoil of their enemies, which they found, for had there not been now a much greater slaughter among the Philistines. A lack of wisdom. A blame shifting. A pride. All of these are hallmarks of an unworthy leader. All of these will, will, will really be, be a part of, uh, of what God looks upon in the life of Saul. And God says, listen, I'm done. I don't want you as my leader. That's not, the, that's not what I'm looking for. I'm looking for a man after God's own heart. That's who I'm looking for. And guess what? If he's got a heart for me, all of these perceived problems that you think our nation has, God can fix. But you go for a godless man, and God's wisdom is not available. God's help is not available. And we have to recognize that as children of God, we need to reflect the heart of our Heavenly Father. Number four, an unworthy politician is insistently stubborn when it comes to their poor judgment. So, according to Jonathan here, he's troubling Israel. Uh, Verse number 29. Uh, Verse number 29 and 30, here we see the truth teller. Jonathan, he's just willing to say what's true. It wasn't easy for Jonathan to say it, but he's saying, listen, basically... Uh, we're following a man that's, that's really crippling us, that's keeping us from doing what we could do because of this senseless law. And so we have here uh, this uh, uh, stubborn arrogance because he won't let up. Matter of fact, you read through the rest of the text and here's the, here's the story in a nutshell. The people uh, now um, have a choice to make. Saul is saying, listen, don't eat fast until evening. Jonathan said, listen, I had a taste of honey and it just revived me. And, and now at the end of the day, when God gets the victory, uh, Saul is looking out for that one that disobeyed his, his edict. 
And basically what came to the forefront through the casting of lots, it was Jonathan. Jonathan's a guy. Jonathan, he took the honey and he owns it. And I want you to follow with me here in the uh, text here as we go to verse 42. And Saul said, cast lots between me and Jonathan, my son. And Jonathan was taken. And Saul said to Jonathan, tell me what thou hast done. And Jonathan told him and said, I did but taste a little honey with the end of the rod that was in mine hand, and lo, I must die. You see, that was the punishment that Saul attached to breaking his silly law. You're going to die. <laughs> you eat something, you die. So how's, how's dad going to look at this? This is his own son. This is the guy that has been leading the nation to victory time and time again. Surely Saul is going to soften just a little bit here, but that's not what the text tells us. Verse 43, Then Saul said to Jonathan, Tell me what thou hast done. And Jonathan told him. Verse 44, And Saul answered, God do so and more also, for thou shalt surely die, Jonathan. All right, what do we have here? We have uh, a terrible decree. And that terrible decree is that, Jonathan, I made the law. You're going to have to die because you took that honey upon your lips. Now, I want you to notice how the people react. Would you, would you see this in verse number 45? And I'm so glad that God gave some common sense to these people. I'm glad that they looked past uh, this leader and, uh, and, and all the rest to get to the heart of the issues. For verse 45 says, And the people said unto Saul, Shall Jonathan die who hath wrought this great salvation in Israel? God forbid. As the Lord liveth, there shall not one hair of his head fall to the ground, for he hath wrought with God this day. So the people rescued Jonathan that he died not. I want us to see here that it was really the heart of Saul to allow his son to be killed just so that he could save face before the people. And yet the scripture tells me very clearly here that what actually happened is the common sense of the people, they came forward and they said, Saul, sorry, uh, you know who the true leader is here? It's not you, it's Jonathan. He's the one that God's all over. He's the one that God is blessing. He's the one that has the heartbeat of God. He's the one that you're not going to touch. Can you imagine as a people saying that to your ultimate authority, the king? And yet they rose up in harmony, defending Jonathan, because they saw qualities in Jonathan, a godliness that they did not see in Saul. Unworthy politicians take credit the issue is pride. Unworthy politicians blame others for their own personal failures. The issue is blame shifting. Unworthy politicians will make senseless laws that hinder rather than help. A lack of wisdom. Unworthy politician is insistently stubborn when it comes to their poor judgment. The issue of arrogance. And as we look just this morning at these four qualities 
we would have to say, I, I'm starting to get a sense for really what God looks for in the heart of a leader. Now, if you're back here tonight at 5, we're going to look at the issue of covetousness, of his truthfulness, of his honesty, of his core values and his integrity. And uh, oh, that we would recognize that God speaks about leaders and God speaks about the right kind of leaders and God allows us glimpses in his word of those that he can honor and those he dishonors. And as a Christian, I don't know about you, but I just want to be on the right side. I just want to be on the right side. I want to stand where Jesus would stand. I would want to vote for the person that Jesus would vote for. Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of Crown Point Baptist Church. If this message was a blessing to you, please consider leaving us a review or sharing the message on social media. Thanks once again for tuning in.